I am Sanjay Parekh, and I am the host of the Business of Meaning podcast, where we showcase businesses that pursue purpose and profit. My guest today is Tom Old. Tom is a social entrepreneur and sustainability leader. Now, Tom worked for over 10 years in the consumer tech industry, growing and managing a global iPod accessory business. Tom came to realize that the consumption of goods and services dictates to a large degree how we impact our fragile planet. In 2014, he established two businesses, Just Move In and Big Clean Switch, which are both B corporations. In 2016, Tom spent three days training with Al Gore in Manila as part of the Climate Reality Program. He has since been an active member of Climate Reality and has done talks and events across the country, including the Cambridge Examination Board. He attended COP21 in Paris in 2015, which is the famous International Climate Agreement, and is well-connected in the world of business and sustainability. He's a believer in pragmatic, positive change and believes that establishing the right strategy is not just a necessity for the planet, but necessary if business wants to evolve and stay relevant in the 21st century. So hi, Tom, and welcome to the Business of Meaning podcast. I'd love it if we could start with your early career and the journey that led you to start Just Move In and Big Clean Switch. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, thanks for, uh, thanks for talking with me. I joined a business at the end of 2014 uh, called Disruptive, and uh, it was very early stage. I was the first employee, and over the following 10 years, that grew to become a fairly significant global force within the iPod and iPhone accessory market business. We made all sorts of different products from silicon cases to fairly complex speakers and apps and accessories and uh, lots of things sitting in the middle. That's how I sort of started my business career. It was a roller coaster 10 years. We grew the business to uh, one that was turning over just shy of $55 million a year and operating in 60 markets around the world. But yeah, felt like I needed a change when I got to the end of that period. So how did you then start uh, Just Move In and, and Big Clean Switch? What was the what was the motivation to start a purpose-driven organization? Well, in a funny way, I think I've always had the aspiration to deliver a purpose-driven business or to use business as a force for good, which is an interesting question as to why. But I think on, in retrospect, I hoped to achieve that through that original business, but quite quickly found the aspiration to do so and the values that I held dear weren't aligned with I guess other, other members, other people in that organization. So after 10 years of making products and many of, I think it was a, you know, it was a great company, but the reality is we were making products in southern China and then a vast number of them were actually being flown around the world. That just really wasn't sitting well with uh, what I wanted to be doing and, and my values then. So I left. I took a little bit of time out trying to figure out how I could use business as a force for good. I mean, I think within the, the, the wider landscape, you've got three kind of entities that exist. You have governments, citizens that we often label as consumers and businesses. And, and businesses have an opportunity to deliver significant change and pretty quickly as well. They're able to make quick decisions um, and not, not sort of be caught up with bureaucracy. And so I wanted to start an organization that delivered purposeful impact. I did so. It was called Ethical Introductions and the I guess the, the underlying belief uh, for that business was that if you could help someone switch from product A to product B, and product B had a, a less in negative influence or footprint on planet and society, and that was a positive thing. And it was, I think it's an easier ask telling someone or suggesting to someone that they may switch to a, a more ethical 
product or service provider than actually telling them not to do something or also mm. kind of really significantly change their behavior. So I guess it's, it's a form of consumer activism, but yeah, that, that can be done through in quite an overt way and in, in quite a covert way. And just move in has turned into the, what I would regard as maybe the covert way of influencing sort of change and driving change. And Big Clean Switch is the uh, very much a kind of loud and proud uh, campaign brand to do the same. So just for the benefit of people listening, could you just explain what Just Move In does? Um, I guess the clues in the, in, in the title of the, of the business and Big Clean Switch as well. Absolutely. Uh, just Move In is a, a service to help people move home and to manage the vast array of different bits of admin that need to go along with that process. Uh, their council that they've moved will help notify the water and sewage companies that have moved will help them notify the incumbent energy provider and then we'll make a, a number of recommendations. So we'll help them move on to a, a better, nicer energy tower for provider, which will be 100% renewable electricity. Uh, we'll help them get set up with a broadband or media sort of uh, supplier of choice, so be that Sky or Virgin or pay another. And then there's things like insurance and removals and cleaning in, in the mix as well. And that's that a range of services is something we're uh, constantly expanding. So the goal is to be the one-stop shop, the, the, the turnkey solution for helping people through that kind of administrative process at a time when they're probably super busy focusing on the physical move, packing, moving, taking kids out of school, managing commitments to, to take time out of work, we can step in and help them through a pretty efficient, um, as, as it stands, it's a pretty efficient phone call. But there's a, we expect to have kind of digital versions of that process coming up. That's just move in. Um, Big Clean Switch is a, a brand that uh, is there to drive the uptake of um, ethical or better products and services. Our focus, again, is on 100% renewable energy at the top uh, for the, for the time being, but there's, uh, I guess, a roadmap to move into other products and services. Um, in that model, we work with large partner brands or organizations. So they could be traditional sort of commercial businesses. Um, so IKEA is a good example of a partner we're working with. Um, they could be councils who are working with the likes of Greater Manchester Combined Authority, uh, which is a, a sort of super council making up its 12 councils up in the Greater Manchester region, or charities, so the likes of WWF. And we're working with them to help their staff, customers, residents, followers, members move to 100% renewable energy, but making sure we do that in a way that, or we communicate to those people in a way that resonates with, with them. And uh, yeah, so two, as I say, quite a, 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 an overt mission-led business and then a, more of a, a covert one. Well, they both sound fascinating businesses. Um, if we could focus on just move in for the moment, how, uh, when you say that, uh, you handle all the administrative elements of moving house. You do that with one, uh, you know, one point of contact, make it simple and easy. How does that allow you to be purpose driven and, and, and mission driven in, in that service? Sure. I guess the, the starting point and the reason why we focus on home moving is that there's a handful of key points in someone's life when they are open to change, receptive to change, receptive to recommendations. And moving home is one of those where a lot of those services need to be attended to, updated, changed or looked at. And so there's a, there's a really sort of clear anchor or hook to engage with people. We refer to it as a little bit like New Year's resolutions, but it's, it's a, rather than the 1st of January, it's moving into a new home and people have new house resolutions. They have a, 
they move in with the best of intentions and an and a attitude of living in a slightly more healthy way, maybe a slightly uh, fitter way. They're going to, the house is going to be cleaner, cleaner, tidier, more energy efficient. So there's a real opportunity to, to help people steer them in, in, in the right direction there. So I guess the, the very obvious tangible change that we're making is helping people move over to 100% renewable energy supplier at that point of kind of switching utilities. But there's a much broader opportunity to encourage better living behaviors and practices and, and introducing some new products and services beyond just energy as they move into the home. And that's, I guess, one of the main drivers and why we focused on the, the moving home experience. Ah, okay. So, so you're basically picking key moments in someone's life where, like you said, they're open to change, that, that, which is much, and it's much simpler to get them to do the right thing in inverted commas. And then by doing that, you're catching them when they're ready uh, to make those changes as opposed to trying to sell them on the changes. So it's a natural point of change. It sounds like very much like you've using elements of behavioral economics in, in the business model. Is, is, that, is that where this has come from or, or is it? Is it from- uh, yes, without having a degree in behavioral economics, I, I, think, I think it is. And it's something that kind of stood out as being kind of obvious, although there's, that opinion was obviously achieved through lots of previous experiences that I've, I've gone through. But yes, I think uh, helping someone set their behavior at a point that it's being reset is an easier thing to do than, than kind of trying to capture their attention in their busy daily lives and then making them, encouraging them to make, make a change. So absolutely. And that, that's something which we're, I guess, quite excited about uh, as the business grows and as we start engaging with more people, we've just got more opportunity to help influence them in a positive way. So energy is a big obvious one, and we can come on to the clean switch in a second. What other services then that you offer uh, to your customers? What, what, what other services do you have that are more ethically based? Sure. Well, there's a, I think you can apply ethics or sustainability or define a better product, and, product or service in almost any industry. So if you're talking about insurance as an example where's the where's the capital reserves of that insurance company sitting are they divested out of fossil fuels or are they actually a stage further are they are they invested in a positive impact um, investment if you're working with any industry is that supplier carbon neutral how are they behaving are they a b corporation are they the best form of uh, that business that they could be within that given industry so i think that's our general viewpoint or approach I think you can also dig into that further. So as someone moves into a property, then you're looking at our, the wider obligation of us as individuals and mankind to reduce the amount of carbon going into the atmosphere. Well, there's energy efficiency. It's a best practice that we, we can offer when you're moving into a property and then you are living there long term. Well, then your food habits, purchasing habits and how you're disposing of waste is, is an important kind of form. I think the, the process of moving home in itself can generate a fair bit of waste so how is that managed how is that recycled how is that resold repurposed um, so when you move into property are you going to then do you own a car are you going to lease a car like the, i think the transport world is being disrupted incredibly is in the process of being you know, disrupted incredibly so how can we help them get set up with the local car club or community or whatever the, the future platform is that's going to exist so almost it's i think service agnostic there is they're going to be better and worse um, alternatives with any given kind of vertical or, or kind of industry that we choose to operate in. Right. Okay. So is the service, 
Is that explicit to the customer? Because my guess is when people are purchasing this service, they, they're purchasing the convenience aspect of it. That's the key driver. Like you said earlier, you know, they're busy. They've got other things on their mind. It's a very stressful time. How aware are they of the, of the environmental, sustainable, and ethical side of, of what you're doing? It's a good question. So we, I guess our customer promise is to save time, hassle, and money. It's exactly that convenience that you just described. I think we take a view that a business doesn't have to be very overtly kind of do-gooding in order to operate in, in a good ethical way. And when we make recommendations and suggestions to people, we explain why we're doing that. So when we talk about an energy tariff or provider to move on to, um, we would explain it in, in quite some detail why we're moving or suggesting that we to that particular supplier. And one of the reasons will be that they're 100% renewable. The sustainable um, part of any recommendation is included within that customer journey. But as you sort of pointed out, it's not the primary reason for someone using our service necessarily. And I think that's really important because when we started the business, we ran a, a survey um, through a third-party market research company. There was a thousand respondents from quite a diverse range of kind of demographics. And 82% of people, I said that they want to, they would rather be powered from a 100% renewable energy tariff or provider if all other things were equal. So I think the, the appetite of people generally is to do the right thing, but the, the barriers tend to be really simple things. So it's a, it's a lack of understanding, it's a lack of trust, or it's, a, it's a, a perceived difficulty in making that switch. People get caught into their traditional behaviors, way of doing things, way of purchasing products and services. So if we can just make it easy for them to make those choices and move to better products and service providers, then that's, I think, going to unlock a, a vast number of, or it's going to deliver some, some quite significant change. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. There's a, there's a lack of knowledge uh, out there of what, what's, what's possible. And if you're helping people make those decisions and giving them information, then I, you know, I think that's, that's definitely a big part of the problem. Just in terms of how the business operates, then, uh, is this a service that you access directly as a consumer or is it via estate agents or is it a mixture of both? What's, what's the primary route to that? People can come to us directly uh, through our, our website. Um, so that's justmoving.co. They a fear attached to that, but we, uh, I tell you what, we should probably put a, a page up, especially for your listeners, so they can come and access the, the service at a special rate. Um, there's also a... Yeah, we also partner with lettings and estate agencies, and we, I guess that's the primary way that we look after customers or receive customers, um, because we know that if someone's working through or moving through a letting and estate agency, we know exactly when they are in that move process, and I think most people would agree that lettings and estate agencies are very good at letting and selling, um, mm. but beyond that, they need some handholding. So it's a very natural partnership to, for us to work with those those guys, and to make sure ultimately they have end up with happy customers. That makes a lot of sense. In the popular culture, though, a lot of estate agents don't have the best reputation. So, so how do you select the partners that you work with? I think brands historically have, have operated just to drive the sale of, of products and services. And if we look at the, the landscape or the, you know, the geopolitical landscape, it's the big brands that have the most influence over people and how they behave and how they feel and think and what they consume and purchase. So I think... If you get roll back, certainly 10 years, but the, the more traditional, sustainable, green world was always seen as kind of uncool. And I think what we've seen in the last few years is sustainability sort of filtering into the mainstream, but it's now been picked up by big brands and it's become 
a cool thing to talk about. And I think that's really important because whether you, whether we like those big brands and what they stand for, they are hugely powerful. And so sustainability, I think, has to be, we have to work with them to deliver, deliver change. I mean, if we have to work with every vehicle we can, I guess, within the world to, to drive change. And I think there's a huge opportunity to, to work with those brands. And that's, I guess, what I was originally hoping to do with my first business, but that sort of didn't turn out to be the case. So our, certainly our philosophy with Just Move In is to make sure that we deliver a grade A, uncompromised, first-class service where there's no compromise because we've got ethics. We are delivering something that people really need, which is saving time, hassle, and money. But we do so in a way that people really appreciate. And I think we, as a business, we really care about our brand. And in turn, we then uh, want to make sure we're working with brands that care about themselves as well and care about their customers. So we tend to focus on like, the top sort of 30% of the market in terms of agencies and partners. And that's, that's important to us. We want to ideally work with people who have an appreciation of uh, what we do and the ethics we hold. And what we have discovered in the last few years, and it's been really reassuring, when we started the two businesses, we, we thought that one was going to be very overtly mission-led and, and the other, we'd, we would be quietly seeking to influence and, and make change where we could. But actually, with Just Move In, we're sort of getting louder and louder about what we do. Uh, we became a B Corporation last year. And that's something we're proud of. And we tell every partner that we ever meet. It's often the first thing we talk about that we are a B corporation. We are a commercial business, but we, you know, even written into our articles of association, we exist to do more than just make profit. And the three guiding principles of a, of a B corporation are people, planet and profit. And I think if you structure the business in the right way, then all, all, all three of those things can be served at the same time. Yeah, I'm a big fan of B corporations and it's really great to see companies now uh, in the UK really taking on board and it's, it's fantastic that, that, that you've done that. And your Trustpilot reviews are uh, outstanding. They're absolutely amazing. And you talked about service earlier. It'd be really interesting to understand how you approach customer service and how you maintain that level of service as, as, as you grow. Well, a lot of that comes down to the, the team. Uh, well, it's, it's, well, I say a lot of it, it's, it's entirely down to the team that we have. Um, we've got a, a passionate, smart, engaged uh, team of people working for us who recognize that they are helping people through the, the primary service of saving time, hassle and money at a point of need and stress and also delivering kind of wider impact. And so therefore, they're, they're proud, I think, of what they do. It's allowed us to, I think, re recruit some, some really talented people and they do they do a great job they they care about the work that they do so i think that's another sort of broader benefit of being a purpose led business you know, there's a strong correlation between purpose led businesses actually just being better run businesses and delivering yeah. i think better products and services and i think that's that's a great example of it yeah i i've got on my desk here a harvard business review report and it's called the business case for purpose and it and it, and it explains in detail exactly what you just said there about uh, the profitability and the the uh, the success of purpose-led businesses. So uh, fascinating. I should probably read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll 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 send you the link to it and put it in the show notes as well. Um, so just to look back a little bit, you, you mentioned that you became a B corporation. You're clearly a purpose-driven entrepreneur. What? Why did you choose to become a B corporation? You could you could have just ran the business in the way that you've been talking. Uh, you know, been very explicit about your values. Talk to your partners. What? What? Why did you feel the need to to certify yourself in this? Well, I think it is, helps us 
talk about our mission and our purpose. And I think it's, I think I'm a fan of B Corp for a few reasons. One is that there's no embarrassment about making profit at the same time. And there's a, an, an incredible community of brands that are part of the B Corp movement. You know, if you look back at some of the, some of the founders, example being sort of Patagonia, it's structuring a business that delivers all three of those P's, people, planet, profit at the same time, which I think sort of makes it attractive. And I think every single partner conversation, every investor conversation that we've had in the, the last 18 months, we have talked about B Corp. And for the first few seconds, you might've got a blank face, but quite quickly, people understand that this is something different. And I think it changes the nature of the conversation that you're having with that individual. You're no longer there just to pitch to them or sell to them. They see something different and it's refreshing. And I know that we've uh, certainly, I think, inspired a handful of companies to then go on and become B Corps. And I think we've probably inspired many others to make significant change. And a great example at the moment, actually, is we have just launched with one of the, the UK's um, leading removals companies. And through the engagement with us, they have decided to switch all of their headquarters over to 100% clean energy. And there's various other things they're doing behind the scenes, but it's just, it allows us to talk about what we do and I think inspire change in the process. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. It's, it's a way of, I guess, officially recognizing because it, it's, it's run by an independent body, isn't it? That's an independent body will come and audit yeah. you on, on various aspects of how you run the business. Again, various, yeah. <laughs> hundred and I think 60 odd aspects, which, where? um, yeah, it really, it forces you to um, have your house in order, really, excuse the analogy, but yeah. yeah. So how long did that process take? It'd be just good to just explore the, the, the process of becoming a B Corp, because you can't just sign up on a website, right? You, you, have, to, you have to do, a, you have to make a bunch of changes if you're, if you're not meeting the criteria, and then that needs to be explicit in terms of how you communicate that both internally and externally. And... Sure, so there's there's a... There's 160 odd questions you have to um, work through uh, or criteria. You have to have a, a certain number of points to become a, a B corporation. Could, you could gain those points from different areas, clearly. And um, it's tough to become a B corporation. It forces you to make sure that you've got all sorts of different kind of policies and procedures in place and are organizing and running the business in a certain way. Um, you have to cement those guiding principles um, into the articles of association of the business. So it's, it's not sort of just skin deep. And uh, there's a recertification process as well. So if you want to stay a B Corp, then you have to keep on kind of delivering those things. How difficult and how much time um, goes into that process all depends on kind of your starting point. Mm. So if you have all those processes and, and policies in place already, and you're able to demonstrate them um, with kind of impact reports sort of quite easily, then, uh, it takes some time to kind of work through that process, but it, it shouldn't be too painful. <laughs> if you're a long way from the mark and you're having to fundamentally change the, the, the foundations of the business to do so, then that's obviously a much bigger task. But you know, you'll see that um, in, in the UK, there's now I mean, Innocent Drinks were one of the last sort of more recent big companies, as, as was Danone, the UK subsidiary, um, who've gone through that process. So yeah. uh, in large companies can sort of go through that certification. So think the other thing that this does is also uh, gives a lot of credibility as well to the organizations i think uh, one of the things that you mentioned to me in prior communication is making sure that companies are just aren't just jumping on the bandwagon uh, because you know it's clearly fashionable and helps generate business if you are uh, associated with sustainability and and the planet in some way but if you're just you know throwing the label on 
think your term is greenwashing, then yeah, that that does more harm than good to the whole. Yes, I mean, I think greenwashing is an interesting. It's it's something that we not necessarily ourselves get asked about, but it's it's perhaps some of the the organisations that we work with might get asked about. I mean, I think the, the classic challenge is can can a business truly drive change um, if it's sort of operating in a kind of capitalist environment, which is the kind of the, the, the bigger, deeper question. And I think there are there are some compromises there. So it depends on ultimately the leadership of that organisation in terms of how true they can operate. But we have to do as much as we can um, with the resources and with the infrastructure and with those entities that exist. And if there's businesses out there who are willing to make change for whatever the reason, then let's applaud them and let's help them. And if that gradually moves the the bar of kind of I don't know I- I- acceptableness or the where how businesses operate, and you know, you've therefore the entire business world kind of moves in terms of how sustainability it, it is, um, then that's absolutely a positive thing. So I've heard people talk about greenwashing and when an organization's turned around and said, well, they're not going to use single-use plastics. And that's a, a, a topic that's obviously in, being discussed kind of widely at the moment. If the, the, the output is something positive, then I'm kind of indifferent over whether that's being driven from the sustainability team or even the, the PR team. And I, I think you know, we're probably seeing more change being driven from um, the company's concern over getting a bad PR reputation and then not necessarily wanting to do the, you know, the right thing. But hey, if it's delivering change, let's, let's embrace it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. You know, if we, could, yeah, yeah, we should have the end goal in mind. And there are, you know, there are many ways to achieve that end goal. And ideally, it would be great if everybody did this from first principles. But the practical realities of living in a diverse economy means that that isn't always possible. So, like you say, if it's PR led, great. <laughs> um, um, you wouldn't want everything to be PR led, but but if that's one way of achieving uh, achieving change, then 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 yes, I, I think that's that wonderful. Um, now, I, look, a, a good example is when we launched with IKEA. Who, who, and by the way, I think all the teams and all the interaction we have with them is is, is very genuine and sincere, um, and they're as an organisation are doing some amazing things around the world. They uh, and and getting their heads into the circular economy as an example in the more kind of advanced form of what they're, what they're working on. Um, we ran a came with, campaign with them last March and went to press talking about uh, the, the collaboration to encourage as many of their customers to switch to 100% clean energy as possible. And that campaign itself picked up 800 million opportunities to see in the press. Now, clearly that adds value and is useful for IKEA, but that's just um, helping drive the, the narrative around sustainability. And I think over time, that becomes the norm. And I think if you if you're changing, if businesses are able to kind of move the dial in terms of kind of conversation and what's what's normal, then I hope and I think that will then rub off in terms of us as citizens and therefore our views of what we want from political parties and, and should have there you know have an impact that way. Yeah. No, no, I, I agree. And it's great that you know, like I say, a company as well known as IKEA, uh, you know, making those changes. From uh, the information you sent to me about your your sort of past experience and your your bio, you you said that you you went to the Paris Climate Change Conference in 2015, and you've worked with Al Gore's Climate Reality. Could could you just expand on that? What was your involvement in in Paris, and and what was your work with Al Gore and Climate Reality? Well, I, I guess the first ever 
wasn't a direct interaction with Al Gore, but the first time I kind of got to know his work was back from The Inconvenient Truth in 2006, which certainly made, sort of left its mark on me and, and left, I guess, me wanting to do more to mitigate the, the impacts of climate change particularly. Roll forward almost 10 years. I had the opportunity to get out to Paris and COP21. I viewed it and I think, you know, collectively the, the world does still view it as um, one of the most important meetings of, um, I think you could say, human civilization, because we were at a point where we had to come together as a global community to bang our heads together and to come to consensus in terms of how we're going to um, mitigate and reduce the impacts of climate change. And I guess against many people's expectations that a deal was delivered. Now, I went out there not knowing whether I was just going to be walking around the, the streets observing. Um, it was very much just a case of Paris was on the doorstep. How could you not be there when it was such an important event? And I went out with a friend and we ended up working out of a, uh, an organization called a pop-up organization called Place to Be. And um, they were had defined themselves as a, a melting pot of journalists and scientists and ambassadors and look over one of the, the large central dormitories, youth hostels uh, near Le Gardenois. And um, it was a fascinating, really fascinating experience and certainly opened my mind. And we were very lucky enough to take part in a number of two-day creative workshops where they were being run by an ex-creative uh, director of big ad agency in London um, who now specializes in the, the third sector. And the, the format of those two-day sessions was to, for everybody in the room, uh, to get out what they thought uh, of of a particular topic and the, the topics were always twinned with climate change so um, maybe it was consumerism maybe it was religion uh, kids and to get everything on the, to the table to bring in some third party kind of stimulus and some ideas and then to spend the next day and a half brainstorming and going through a workshop which had the objective of coming up with something tangible at the end of it an idea, a, a plan, a, a product, a service, and which we then presented back to the wider group. Uh, we, we went into a two-day session not knowing what to expect and, and were enthralled with the process and then ended up spending most of the two weeks there um, going through different kind of workshops. I feel very lucky to have gone through that process. It was fascinating. And um, I, there was probably some small amounts of inspiration that I, I took from that in terms of what we're doing today. So that was in part my experience, and I think um, the other thing I'd just generally note about COP21 is that people, um, I guess, may overlook the fact that it happened two weeks after the shootings in, in Paris. And so arriving there, there was a, the atmosphere was, I mean, everybody was nervous, extremely nervous at what was going to happen and just from their kind of own, own safety. So uh, an incredible kind of two weeks to go through for, for, for many, many different reasons. That was COP21. I've also been lucky enough to participate in a movement that's uh, it's called Climate Reality. It's, a, a, I guess, a, a follow-on from the original film that Al Gore created. And it's, describing people as disciples of that film is probably not inaccurate. <laughs> and, yeah, I, so I guess for some time I was scratching my head thinking, well, where, where's the sequel coming? And what, what's he doing now? And I kind of discovered that there was this thing called Climate Reality. And it's people being, there's three or four training events each year you can go to those training events. Anybody can, can apply to go to them. Um, they're free. You then spend uh, with a uh, you know, few hundred other people in a room 
he spent three days with Al Gore, um, and he's there for the vast majority of that time. And uh, he will talk through his latest version of that, that deck and explain to you in detail why each slide exists and talk about the science behind it and why he presents it in a certain way. And then run through how he would normally present it in the 20-minute version and then the, the sort of two-hour version. And the intent is to get people to the point where they're able to then go and, and, and present a version of that, that deck themselves. So uh, I think actually it can be quite a contrast to, to, to Paris and COP21 in terms of the two different kind of organizations, but um, yeah, equally kind of inspiring and interesting to go through. So is that something that you do now, um, I guess, in your when, when you're not working, you, you give these um, uh, climate reality talks? And I do, yes. Uh, I think there's... Um, there's always a case of wanting, wanting to do more, but there's, there's um, helping run two businesses and uh, there's always a, a time pressure. Um, I think what I've found works really nicely is, is taking that presentation and then leading into what, what is happening around the world. And really the, that, the, the presentation, the deck that he's put together focuses on the science at the beginning, the impacts of the science of which there's a, just an incredible array of natural disasters happening around the world, around the world sort of at the same time, which we're becoming oblivious to. And it's very much sort of frog in the pan analogy. Um, but then the third section is to focus on actually what is happening, what is what change is happening that's positive. And within that deck, there's examples of, I don't know what the Vatican have done, what you've got small villages in Africa jumping forward to using um, flexible solar panels to run little laptops in the middle of nowhere and leapfrogging the traditional industry the you know, traditional both mobile phone and energy infrastructure so there's i think some really inspiring change there and i think then sort of leading that into actually well, what's happening in the business world and there's some fantastic examples there uh, both from pure businesses from sporting bodies you know, you've got the likes of arsenal football ground that proudly powered by 100 renewable energy you had lord's cricket ground ground switch 18 months ago to 100 renewable energy so there's there's more and more interesting businesses that are an organization sort of making that making that change making that switch so yes that's the long answer i do um uh, have a get out there and, and, and do that talk so that, that brings us nicely onto big clean switch be be good to give us uh, just a, the one minute overview of, of what that business is i guess most people can guess but it'd be great to just hear from you how that business operates and and what your role is in that how this plays its part in in, in helping uh, stop climate change sure bigcleanswitch.org is is the site that we use and um, that's the platform um, i co-founded the business with someone called john fletcher who runs it on a day-to-day -day basis he's a super talented individual and where just move in is this sort of the covert uh, way of helping drive and influence people um big clean switch is very overt we're loud and proud about that and we're working with third-party organizations to deliver that change um, i mentioned ikea earlier that's a really good example and we will sit down with a partner and figure out how best to communicate um, with their audience, both in terms of the, the mediums that we use, but particularly the messaging. And I think what's, uh, what's particularly fascinating is, is how you should potentially talk about sustainability with different audiences and both different audiences sitting within the political landscape. So, you know, you could talk about energy independence as one kind of benefit of renewables versus being kind of really green and all about the environment in the, in the other. And the, the result is the same thing, but the, the way you frame that message is quite important. So that's something we, we spend time working on. 
And we have a, a site that allows people to um, compare and view all the renewable energy tariffs that, uh, or the vast majority of them that are available in the UK. And these are tariffs that are vetted um, by us as an organization, both in terms of the, the tariff, but also how it's, how it's made up. So just to avoid any greenwashing, we, 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 do, we, we run checks to make sure that the, the green tariff they're putting forward is one that we're comfortable with and is, is coming from appropriate um, uh, generation sources and uh, then you can go and switch through that site at any point or uh, every now and then we'll work with a large organization to run a collective switch where we're switching a large number of people at the same time uh, and then we are able to find a, a, a slightly stronger better deal with those organizations and yeah that's how we operate so we we're it's a, in it's an exciting project or business and there's a, a number of partners that we're working with to deliver no, so it sounds sounds like a really really good thing to do. The just in terms of scale and how uh, how you get remunerated, it is I take it there's no fees for a consumer. They'll just go and log on, um, and you just get paid by the energy companies. Is that is that how it works? Sure. Yes, we operate in a kind of a fairly industry standard model, which is we earn a small fee when someone goes through the site. Um, it doesn't affect the the tariff that they end up paying. It's the same as other Sort of comparison sites that exist yeah. i guess our fund the view that we have which is fundamentally different to others in the industry is that we should get people over and switch them to a tariff that is is right for the long term um that isn't going to suddenly jump up and, and increase in price significantly in 12 months time and then you find that someone has stuck on that for a little bit too long and they've completely uh, undermined the the saving they made in that first 12 months so um, we want to re recommend tariffs that are genuinely right for the long term and in some cases we may earn a, a small kind of the longer term but we actually think that's driving a better behavior we're not encouraging people to switch every 12 months which isn't very good for the suppliers that's not profitable or sustainable for them it's not it's a, it's it just introducing kind of hassle for the customers so yeah i think that's another example of uh, how our ethics are kind of um uh, operating our, our business model you know, it's, it does sound, it does sound uh, you know, fantastic service, and you know, just I guess an evolution of the the market comparison services that are out there. So yeah, I strongly recommend people take take a look at that. Um, so just to sort of wrap things up, uh, Tom, what, what's what's next for Just Moving and Big Clean Sweep? Well, both of them are sort of entering into the growth phase of their. Um, life cycle. We've, I think we've worked hard to really sort of put some, build some nice foundations for them. So that's super exciting because I think with growth comes the opportunity to influence and affect more people. Uh, I think it means that there's just broader products and services that we can add to both. So Big Clean Switch isn't called the Big Clean Energy Switch. It's, it's there to, um, it's kind of, again, industry agnostic. So there's a pipeline of us moving into other products and services, uh, just as there are with, with Just Move In. So yeah, it's, it's, and I think when you start a, any form of business, there's, you really have to make sure that you're focusing on the numbers to make sure that you've got something which is in itself sustainable and profitable. And I'm pleased to say that I think we've, we've done that. So um, we've now got a little bit more headspace to think about how we can then develop our impact further. That's, that's great. You know, we really look forward to uh, seeing both businesses develop. Um, just one final question. What what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs or business owners that want to either become a B corporation or want to just create more meaning in, in, in what they're doing? I think they need to make sure that they've got a, a team around them to deliver that 
change. I think if you've, if you've got a, a senior management team within a business that's generally all committed to that, to that sort of mission, that becomes quite powerful and that will uh, filter through the business. And I think you'll see all sorts of different benefits um, as, we've, as we've talked. Having a purpose that's deliverable or being clear about your purpose, I think is, is really key. If you've got that embedded, then again, that will have a, a significant influence over everything you do. I think it, it can excite people, it can inspire people, it can attract sort of better people to the organization. I'd say if you're a young organization going through that process, then don't overlook the fact that you yourselves have to be sustainable. And you know, I think this I've seen this before where companies aren't. Um, so it's, it's trying to get that balance of, of being a, a sustainable, profitable business that can stand on its own few legs and while delivering impact at the same time. That's, that's very sound advice, Tom. Um, you know, the whole purpose of, of this podcast is to show uh, case businesses that have uh, meaning and purpose, but also that do make a profit or are on that path to profitability. So I think that's, that it is incredibly important uh, that you consider how your business itself will be sustainable. Thank you, Tom, for sharing your story with us today and showing us all how you conduct business with meaning. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again, Tom, for sharing insights about running a business that puts the planet at the heart of your mission. It's great to see that you can apply these principles to businesses that serve everyday needs, and with some simple actions, everyone can play their part in reducing their impact on the planet. Now, for our listeners, we'd really appreciate it if you could share this podcast with your colleagues and friends. And if you love what you're hearing, it would be great if you could leave a review on iTunes. If you've got any direct feedback, we'd love to hear from you, either via Twitter at BOFmeaning or via email at sanjay at thebusinessofmeaning.com. Well, thanks for listening and we'll see you all on the next episode.